0: Welcome back to another episode of All Fired Up! I'm very sorry if you missed us last week because we did have to skip uh, last week's episode due to some technical glitches. So I am hopeful that we will re-record that episode and have it for you very, very soon. But in the meantime, today we're going to dive into something I'm extremely excited about, a subject I'm totally passionate about, which is of course Self compassion. Some of you might know that I've written a book on self compassion called Mindful Moments, which is all about how you can integrate little tiny Self compassion practices into your everyday life to make things easier. And I thought self compassion was such a great topic right now, being as we are, you know, smack bang in the middle of diet culture high season with Christmas approaching, with New Year approaching, with summer down here in Australia. It's diet culture is just squeezing as hard as it can. And self compassion, I think of as this beautiful buffer which can stop the squeeze. So today my guest is Dr. Kira Buchanan from the Centre for Integrative Health in Brisbane. Kira is a clinical and health psychologist and she's very passionate about the anti-diet haze perspective in everything she does. Kira actually did her dissertation on why diets fail and she shared with me earlier that her expectation when she was doing this research that she would find the diet that would really work. And was, you know, has definitely come on a long journey since then, realizing that, you know, abandoning this whole idea of diets was the only ethical thing to do. So Kira is a fabulous person and she's done some great work in the area of self-compassion and she's developed groups in self-compassion for people who are struggling with weight and eating and that kind of area. So today's discussion was really lovely. We talked about a lot of things, we talked about how self-compassion is being kind of you know, as usual, no surprise, diluted and sold as a weight loss tool. We unpack exactly why that's completely wrong. We talk about what self-compassion really is. We talk about the changes that we need to see in uh, self-compassion research. And finally, we touch on how we can look after ourselves using self-compassion strategies in this really difficult time of year. So there's a lot packed into this episode. I'm really happy with it. And without further ado, I give you me and Kira. So welcome to the show, Kira. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks, Louise. Thanks for having me. Now, normally I start by asking my guests, what is firing you up? But you know what? Something's really firing me up and I needed to talk to you about it. Okay, let's hear it. So I'm completely fired up. In in fact, I'm a bit kind of ropeable about this whole topic of self-compassion. So that sounds like a weird thing to get fired up about, doesn't it? But I absolutely adore the concept of self-compassion and I use it in therapy every day. I love it so much that I wrote a whole book on how to use self-compassion in your everyday life. And I really see self-compassion as like a foundation for the non-diet approach and for Hayes. So what really, really pisses me off is when I see something as beautiful as self-compassion being used by the diet
1: culture industry Mm. as a weight loss tool. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, as we were talking about a bit earlier, compassion is about sort of doing what's best for ourselves and I can see why that would have you all fired up because the research behind the health at every size approach very clearly says that dieting isn't what's best for ourselves it's, it's not what's good for us physically and it's definitely not what's good for us emotionally or even socially yes. so it kind of flies in the face of the, the premise I suppose it underlines self-compassion and compassion focused therapy
0: yes it's a beautiful sort of tool of healing That's being promoted as a way to promote further harm. So I'm thinking in particular about a book that I have come across called, and I'm cringing just saying it, Mm. it's called The Self-Compassion Diet Mm. by Jean Fain. Mm. And its subtitle is A Step-by-Step Program to Lose Weight with Loving Kindness. Mm. And I
1: have so much rage. <laughs> See, when you said the title, the self-compassion diet, I'm like, is it a diet to lose self-compassion? <laughs> <laughs> um, but it sounds like, having not read the book myself, what you're saying is is that it's a process, is it, of using self-compassion to lose weight. Yeah,
0: yeah. So the, in the back of the book, it says, most people say that when they lose weight and look better, they'll like themselves more. Gene frames oh. suggests that we've got it all backwards. When you start
1: loving who you are, weight loss naturally follows. Oh, so there's kind of an assumption there that everybody who's in a bigger body, they're in a bigger body because they don't like themselves. And if yes. they could learn how to like themselves, then they would also be granted this thinner body.
0: That is so insulting. I don't even know what to actually say right now because this, this idea is, is dreadful.
1: It's am sort of blaming and
0: shaming. shaming. Yeah, it blames the individual, which is, by the way, the very opposite of what self-compassion is supposed
1: to (laughs) be. Absolutely. It it absolutely is, yeah. Self-compassion is not about blaming or shaming ourselves or other people. In fact, Paul Gilbert's three-circle model talks about how blame, shame and criticism activates our threat system. And as you would know, our threat system propels us into this flight or fight response. And if we're having that response in, I guess, in response to ourselves, that's either us running away from ourselves or fighting and attacking ourselves. So blame and shame is never helpful, but we can also see how it sets up a cycle for people in them sort of abusing and punishing themselves through eating or not eating.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting because what you're talking about is that self-compassion is, is a big concept but what you're talking about is like the motivational theory that underpins self-control so the idea that we have three different motivational systems in our brains that are Mm. hardwired and various stuff can trigger them off so when we feel blame and shame towards ourselves our brains go into fight-flight response and we make hasty decisions like signing up for a diet program
1: (laughs) (laughs) yes Yes. Or I mean, that might even be uh, what we find a lot of people is when the threat system, which is what you're talking about, gets activated, they automatically try and regulate it with going to the drive system. So I guess they're running towards a weight loss program, which is actually the the drive system that's about pursuing what's regarded as reward or pleasure or resources.
0: Mm, mm. So when our threat system is activated, which is that fight, flight, cortisol kind of Dominated response mm-hmm. will go into drive mode, which is chasing sort of pleasure or chasing success. Yes. And that's the dopamine one, isn't it? That's that dopamine pathway of yep. achievement.
1: Yep, spot on. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Oh. And then I guess the problem when we start bouncing between the threat and drive and threat and drive. As we know, when we're stuck in the drive system, failure is inevitable. So if we're thinking about getting better grades or earning more money or bettering our time on the racetrack or whatever, eventually we hit a point of failure. And I suppose this is even more inevitable when we look at weight loss dieting because Mm. we're we're up against our physiological body that's there to help us survive. So it doesn't Mm. want us to lose weight. So we're in drive, 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 drive. Eventually, we hit failure but Mm. then that triggers off all of their shame and blame and criticism again and then before you know it we're back in the threat system again so we're bouncing between feeling bad about ourselves and pursuing weight loss and feeling bad about ourselves and pursuing weight loss and it's kind of this Mm. perpetuating cycle
0: yeah you've just you've just perfectly described like the you know the diet trap Mm. um, but from a biological perspective
1: yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. It's so, that's what I love about self-compassion. It, it explains things on so many different levels. But yeah, when we're unhappy, we try and meet that unhappiness with a solution that's kind of built in, as you said, for failure, for not working out the way we want it to.
1: Mm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I guess the compassion-focused therapy model is this idea that life is full of suffering and full of struggle and full of things that we didn't choose for ourselves or we might not like, and that there's not actually solutions to all of these things. So we're not actually problems to be solved. But what we can do instead is to soothe and comfort and nurture ourselves in these times of distress, I suppose.
0: Right. So the third motivational system is that safety and soothing system, yeah. which I think I recall is dominated by oxytocin.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So that's our, I guess, like, it's a big part of attachment as well. So when we were young children and we got distressed, so obviously, like, we were in our active uh, threat system. Our parents didn't go and tell us to achieve something. <laughs> a bit better. What well, some do... of our parents. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. You're absolutely right. But what was supposed to happen was that we were supposed to be soothed and comforted, and that would trigger that sense of oxytocin, that sense of feeling close and nurtured and comforted and we'd be able to regulate our distress through our parents being there for us and it would calm us down so yeah that that is exactly what you describe is the purpose of the soothe system
0: yeah and when we practice self-compassion stuff we activate that system we activate the soothing system in our brain absolutely yeah and That's what's so lovely about self-compassion because it's like this lovely way, lovely and always accessible way of calming yourself down and looking after yourself if you're either distressed or if you're sort of stuck in overdrive. Mm. The way of coming back to yourself and offering yourself the kindness and unconditional love and support that you need in a difficult time. Absolutely. Yeah, spot on. I love it. What it is not is a weight loss tool. Mm. there's this idea that Jean Fain's talking about in her book, which is kind of like if we activate that soothing system, weight loss will effortlessly follow, is, I just want to say it really loudly and clearly for everyone listening, it's bullshit. <laughs> because, I mean, as far as I know, there is absolutely zero biological evidence or long-term evidence that self-compassion is an effective weight loss tool, that self-compassion overrides the body's, you know, homeostasis systems that are in charge. Mm. Are Are you aware of any research that contradicts that idea? (laughs)
1: that says that being kind to ourselves is going to make us lose weight yeah make everyone (laughs) (laughs) no (laughs) there's no evidence of that that I've come across but in fact you know underpinning the compassion focused therapy model is this idea that we have these tricky minds that we didn't choose and we didn't design but what we can do is try and learn to work with them so that we can kind of free ourselves from not free ourselves from suffering, that's not a good way of putting it, but to bring compassion to ourselves during times of suffering. So Mm. it doesn't say if you practice self-compassion, your major depressive disorder will go away, or your generalized anxiety disorder will go away. It's Mm. saying that while you're feeling anxious or while you're feeling depressed, you're more likely to feel soothed and comforted and grounded if you bring a sense of compassion to it. And I suppose the flip side of having these tricky minds is we also have these tricky bodies, that weren't our design, and there's also not anything wrong with them. They evolved to survive and adapt in our current environments. We can learn to, like, understand them so that we can work with them as opposed to against them. Mm -hmm. And again, compassion is bringing a sense of it's really hard to... I guess it can be really hard to live in whatever body we have of whatever shape and size when we live in a society that's continually telling us that our body is not right. Mm, A problem, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. And I guess that's something that a lot of us of all shapes and sizes experience. And there's this real idea that you can change your body and you'll feel better about yourself. Whereas compassion is just this, this is really hard, let's bring a sense of compassion to it. Mm. It's not going to change the shape or size of your body, but there's nothing wrong with the shape or size of your body it's just soothing yourself in this moment
0: yeah which makes me even more like mad that this cheeky book has come along and and done the absolute opposite of what is intended from self-compassion practice and what gets me really worked up is knowing that people we'll see this book and think maybe this is the thing and Mm. we'll get this idea that self-compassion is nothing more than a tool to change your body. Mm. It's just missing the point. Mm. And, of course, uh, we know, we are just certain that weight loss is not going to follow if we start liking ourselves. Yeah. And making it conditional on weight loss means that when it doesn't happen, what's going to happen? We're going to turn on ourselves again. Mm. And in the process, you might have lost an opportunity to really learn about what self-compassion is all about.
1: Mm. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like we were talking as well, we were sort of saying underneath compassion as well as this idea of we all sort of ended up here. We're all in this flow of life. None of us chose to be here, but we're all human beings and none of us are immune to struggle and suffering. So this real idea of, although we have our individual differences, we're more more the same than not the same, this real sense of common humanity. Whereas I think books such as this one and the whole weight loss industry really divide people. So Mm -hmm. this idea that some of us are okay and some of us aren't okay and some people are choosing to be particular ways and other people are choosing to be a different way. So it really segregates people from one another Mm -hmm. over this topic of weight, whereas compassion is meant to bring us all together.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's such a good point, isn't it? Because you're right. The weight loss industry and diet culture, others us all the time. Yeah. There's the in group, the cool group who of course are the thin group mm. and like everyone else is just not trying hard enough or failing. And that is when we look at the philosophy of self-compassion, that is not what it's all about. It's we're all in this together. Mm, mm. Can you talk a little more about the philosophy of self-compassion, because I'm just thinking about people who are listening who might never have heard the concept. And we've talked about the neurobiology of self-compassion, but where did the whole idea kind of originate from and why are psychologists so gung-ho about it?
1: Yeah, well, I guess compassion-focused therapy was developed by Paul Gilbert, and it came out from seeing that some particular psychiatric conditions, I suppose such as depression, were sort of perpetuated or maintained by a lot of self-directed shame and blame and self-loathing. So that's where it was sort of born from to begin with. And I guess also this premise that a lot of people go and do a lot of cognitive therapy and they can think more rationally, but they don't feel any better. So, mm. compassion focused therapy is really working with our physical sensations, coming back to our body and soothing ourselves physiologically, but it's also working with like our emotions as well.
0: Mm. Yeah, there really is a felt sense
1: of support
0: because, mm. you know, I'm a CBT-trained therapist and mm. when I learned about self-compassion, it changed my practice entirely. So mm. I actually, I didn't come across Gilbert, first of all. I, I, Gilbert, I think, is in the UK, right? Yes, yeah. And, yeah, I came across the work of Kristen Neff, who is American, mm. and her stuff, her, she's written a book called Self-Compassion. Yes. So, yeah, I learned about it from her, and then I heard about the British people who are applying self-compassion in, specifically in the area of eating and eating disorders. What I, I loved about it, I remember this story that Kristen Neff says about how, the story of how self-compassion came about. For her. <laughs> yeah, about yeah. how... The whole kind of concept of self-esteem, like, because we all know self-esteem, it's a very mm. well-known term and it's a common reason for people coming to see psychologists because people want to feel better about themselves. And so mm. the logical thing to do is to go see a psychologist and get some help. But the research literature on, on outcomes for self-esteem is pretty terrible. Yes. So, we don't tend to do very well with helping people improve their self-esteem, which is a bit of a dirty secret. Mm. But when you look at what self-esteem really is, it makes, because our sense of self-esteem is like a global evaluation of ourselves. Like, Mm. yeah. And when you look at the self-esteem scales that we use in psychology to measure the concept, it's all about performance and comparison. So it's like, you know, on the self-esteem scale is there's things like, you know, in comparison with other people, I'm a pretty good person.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So again, it's a separate us and them. Yeah, yeah. And
0: that that drive system again. Yeah, always comparing and seeing where we measure up. So so the concept of self-esteem really is conditional on how we're going. So if we're doing well in a certain area, then we might, you know, speak positively to ourselves. Like, oh, I did really well on my test. I must be really smart. I'm lifting this course. And you might feel good about you as a person. But then if you fail or, you know, you have a really bad mark, you'll turn on yourself Mm. because your judgment is conditional on your performance. So it's like, well, I failed that. I'm messing up. I'm a failure. And you know what? In a self-esteem model, the only way to fix things, in inverted commas, is to perfect them again, is to do well again. And then we can like ourselves. So, like I talk to clients, it's like, The concept of self-esteem is like building a house on sand Mm. because we can't always do well. And and if our whole self-concept relies on how we're doing, we're setting ourselves up for a
1: difficult path. Yeah. As we were talking before, that's bouncing between a threat and the drive system. So if you're stuck in a drive system, eventually you're going to fail. Yeah. It's going to trigger all of that criticism and get you back into that flight or flight threat system.
0: Yeah. So eventually, you know, psychologists have, I always say to my clients, psychologists who are on the ball have given up on the concept of self-esteem and moved on. And I really don't know how this happened, but somewhere, somehow it was noticed that Buddhist monks had really low levels of mental illness. (laughs) And so after a lot of kind of delving into that topic, it became clear that Buddhism involves this concept called self-compassion, which is a beautiful alternative to the concept of Mm. self-esteem. Self-compassion is not a global evaluation of yourself based on how you're going. Self-compassion is this concept of being there for yourself, being your own best friend and your own kind of guide and through good times and bad. So your relationship with yourself is unconditional. When things are going well, you have a supportive relationship with yourself. Mm-hmm. When things are going terribly, you have a supportive relationship with yourself.
1: Mm.
0: So it's like self-compassion is building a house on rock.
1: Mm.
0: And it doesn't really matter what kind of hits you in life. You're there for you.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think Kristen Neff says something along the lines of, you know, self, self-esteem can kind of feel great while everything's going well, but as soon as something goes wrong, self-esteem is the first one to pack its bags and ship one out. So it oh just right. kind of abandons you in your time of need, whereas self-compassion <laughs> is really the one that kind of swoops in and supports and comforts you when you actually really need it.
0: Yeah. Self-esteem is the biggest frenemy ever. Yeah, (laughs) yes. (laughs) It's like, oh, sorry, things are
1: tough. See you later. (laughs) Yes,
0: I'm not sticking around. Give me a
1: call back when you've got your shit sorted. (laughs) Exactly.
0: It's abandoning yourself in your time of need. Yes. Self-compassion is showing up in your time of need. Mm. And it's so lovely. And I love, like I talk to people about it in all kinds of different therapy sessions. So it's one of those I don't know. It's almost like a superpower to develop this relationship with yourself of compassion. It gives you the strength to withstand whatever is happening in your life. So Mm. I talk to people with depression about self-compassion. I talk to people with eating disorders about self-compassion. I talk to people about body stuff and self-compassion. It just tends to kind of fill in a lot of the gaps, like you said before, like the cognitive therapy misses.
1: Mm, mm.
0: and that's been your experience as well
1: yeah absolutely I, i and i guess it's like us kind of developing a big part of compassion focused therapy is developing this compassionate wise soothing self like we've got these multiple selves so we've got this critical self and this angry self and we've got this anxious self it's about developing this compassionate wise self That's able to kind of be our best friend and to be able to comfort and nurture and guide and direct us in all times, but particularly there for us in our time of need or our time of struggle.
0: Yeah, it's exactly there for difficult stuff. Mm. That's so good. And you run a program called Radiance. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. This is a self-compassion based group for people who are struggling with weight concern and eating stuff, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so it's, yeah, Radiance. It's um, compassion-focused therapy for eating and weight concerns. Yeah, it's a really lovely group, and our clients always really get a lot out of participating in it.
0: Yeah. What kind of changes do you see in the
1: group? So many when I sort of start. It's really interesting, I suppose we take pre and post measures. And there's this idea that I guess people come to the group with an idea that it's not okay to like or love themselves or to treat themselves well until they lose weight. And this real shift towards the end of everybody's deserving of love and kindness and support and respect, irrespective of where they are at in life in all different domains. So developing a a sense of more kindness and self-respect and self-acceptance. And the other thing I think that really stood out is a lot of the participants will talk about one of the allures of weight loss is it's kind of this promise to be part of the cool group. So you you go along to weight loss groups and you've kind of got your own language and your own rituals and a way of speaking that kind of makes them feel like they're all part of something together, even though everyone's sort of shaming and blaming one another. Whereas Radiance is about, people coming together and learning to connect in a much healthier way so having a shared understanding of how to practice compassion for themselves and for other people and how to accept themselves so it's got its own I guess language and rituals and practices but they're ones that I suppose are health promoting um, not sort of health depleting like the weight loss and diet industry
0: yeah yeah it's giving people that message of you don't actually have nothing about you have to change the yeah. acceptance is right here. And yeah. the belonging is right here. Yeah. Yeah. That's so lovely. And that's um, that's I think what we have in Untrapped as well, that compassionate gathering of people who are unconditionally accepting everybody else. And there's such power in that idea of common humanity, that idea yeah. of we're all in this together. There is huge power in that. And there's a lot of psychological Research to show that when people feel part of a community, they get better much more quickly mm. than when they're suffering with feelings of shame and isolation. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: Mm.
0: And as we talk, I'm just so conscious that anyone who's involved in, in the weight loss industry is really up against it from the self-compassion angle, because there's really no way to feel part of something if you're feeling like you're failing at it, and just just those messages that you get. You know, the stories that I get from clients about how like that one lady told me you know Weight Watchers will give you a free lifetime membership if you hit goal weight
1: <laughs> I, know. If, I know if you hit goal weight why do you need a free lifetime membership yeah that's a bit of a clue there isn't there because <laughs> <laughs> yes, you're gonna need us for the rest of your life yeah. to stay here
0: <laughs> anyway she has been going for years and years and it was one kilo off that goal weight thing and she was really, really restricting herself. They made her just keep going, like, for two or three years.
1: Mm.
0: And, like, just that kind of conditional, you're still not there yet, that judgement was just so damaging.
1: Mm. Yeah.
0: That will never happen in a self-compassion group.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, you were making me think there was this really lovely moment that wasn't intentional in one of the groups where one of the participants, more or less, I guess she kind of didn't put it as bluntly as this, this, but sort of said, "It's, it's okay for you to be compassionate. It's okay for you to accept your body when... You look like that when you're thin. And that started this really lovely conversation about all of the judgments and the assumptions that are about people of all different sizes. This idea that, you know, people in the group had particular judgments of themselves and from others about what it meant to be in a bigger body. But here I was in a, a smaller body and I was being judged as well. So, although I can't even begin to imagine their experience, and I'm not trying to say that mine is the same in any way, but none of us get away from judgments. You lose weight, you gain weight, there's this an, an assumption around who you are and what you're doing, but what we can all do instead is sort of have compassion for ourselves in the face of those judgments, of feeling like we need to do something to escape those judgments.
0: Yeah, yeah. So just a recognition and
1: a sympathy that you extend towards yourself. Yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, I often joke that my weight throughout the day goes—I go from being too fat to too thin to be giving the advice and the support that I'm giving, depending on who's sitting in front of me. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's this idea that I guess we get judged the most on our weight by the people who are the most hung up. On their own weight issues, yeah. Um, So I guess we can have compassion for ourselves instead of feeling like we need to change ourselves to avoid that person's judgment. And I suppose we can also try and have some compassion for them. Like, how sad is it that they're that hung up on their own weight that they need Mm. to kind of enforce judgment on me about my weight?
0: Yeah, that lens is so strong in diet culture. Mm. That idea, that self-esteem based evaluation that's constantly going on about body size and the meaning attached body size it happens to us inside our own heads all day every day and it's happening to other people as well Mm. and it's absolutely much harder for people in larger bodies who who get the you know you you get the respite right in a thinner body of of sometimes being yes (laughs) all that switching off and and people in larger bodies don't get that respite and that's that's what's really tough Mm. Yeah. Something you mentioned twigged something for me that I wanted to bring up in today's podcast, because I think that, you know, the concept of self-compassion is really taking over in psychology and it's being used in lots of places. And there's just an explosion of research that shows how beneficial it is in a variety of different treatment programs. Mm-hmm. And, but particularly for weight concern and eating behaviours and sort of healthcare stuff, self-compassion's awesome. So there is a lot of research, a lot of people talking about it. And what I've noticed is that even within that broad community of you know, notable researchers doing this wonderful stuff, you can still see weight stigma in a lot of what they're saying. So mm-hmm. one thing that's coming to mind is Brene Brown. I have so much admiration for that person. She's incredible and she talks a lot about uh, concepts that are very relevant to self-compassion and she's got a lot of followers and a lot of people just sort of worship the ground she walks on. But recently on social media I saw someone had written an open letter to Brene Brown because in one of her speeches Brene had commented on made a comment about obesity or body size. And I actually think also there was something about the chairs. The chairs at the theatre mm. weren't large enough to accommodate everybody.
1: <laughs> mm. Mm.
0: And this is a great kind of letter that this person wrote, which I will put up on in the show notes, about how it felt to be a larger person.
1: Mm. And excited
0: to see Renee Brown
1: mm. at this
0: whole talk about inclusion and vulnerability and then kind of being othered
1: Mm.
0: Yeah, I think that's, it's something that I really would like to see in the self-compassion community change, which is about addressing weight stigma and internalized weight stigma because it's so damaging Mm. when, if we're gathering a whole bunch of people together who are attracted to the concept of self-compassion because it gives us the ability to just be in our bodies and then the leading researchers are throwing some pearls out there about weight stigma, it it does damage. Mm. Yeah, and I think you showed me a YouTube clip of Paul Gilbert, who I think is fabulous. Mm. And at one point in the video, he was talking, you know, just so nicely about how imperfection is part of life and we're all in this together and it's not our fault and our bodies are tricky. And then five minutes later, he was talking about how self-compassion doesn't let you off the hook when it comes
1: to your weight. I think he said something on the lines of, you know, it's not your fault if you were born with the genetic predisposition to become obese, but it is your responsibility in terms of the way that you, the, the foods that you choose and, and the way that you eat. Yeah. and I, we, You and I did have a sort of discussion about that. I mean, I guess I, I was sort of saying like, I feel, I guess, compassion for Paul Gilbert because I can see it's coming from a really good place. And I can also, I guess, feel a bit sad for anybody in a bigger body hearing that message that maybe he's slightly missed the mark. Totally missed the mark. (laughs) Yes. 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 So, I mean, the the principle underlying his model is that it's not our fault. It's our responsibility to try and alleviate our own suffering. And I suppose... He is obviously a clinical psychologist who has a lot of experience in psychiatric conditions. So he would talk about, it's not your job to get rid of your depression, but it's your responsibility to try and alleviate some of your suffering with your depression And so I would really like Mm -hmm. to see him kind of tweak that comment that he made around it's not your fault and if you're in a bigger body that's just genetically and environmentally what happened. It is your responsibility to find a way to alleviate any suffering that you have around your body. And if you're comfortable with your body, nothing needs to be done. But if you're feeling distressed about your body, it's your responsibility to use practices such as self-compassion to soothe yourself, not to change yourself, not to do anything about your weight, but to to find a way of comforting that distress that you might
0: have yeah yeah but that is a minefield, isn't it
1: <laughs> trying to comfort yourself or trying to get these tweaks sort of in the yeah. compassion field yeah i think
0: they're bigger than tweaks i think yes. i think yeah i think a seismic kind of tweak is needed because there's an assumption that weight is suffering and let's you know unpack that and question that because and also this whole idea of it's your responsibility it's not really our responsibility to do anything with our bodies. It's our choice.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. and so if, if what we want to do with self-compassion is simply be nice to ourselves, then that's fine. And I think the, the focus on individual responsibility ignores like a whole world full of injustice and prejudice and stigma and oppression and things that are really badly wrong. Mm. And that all needs to get brought in to this discussion. So I would love kind of like a social justice aware model of self-compassion.
1: I think that's a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> and as you were talking, I was thinking as well, like underlying compassion-focused therapy is Buddhism and is a lot of mindfulness practice. And Paul Gilbert talks a lot about the needing to wake up, which is what mindfulness is all about, is to wake up to the realities of life and then, In that waking up is suffering and realisation and then compassion is to bring, I guess, some compassion and soothing to that suffering. So I suppose with that waking up, that awakening and that mindfulness, part of what needs to happen is waking up to some of our own prejudice and bias towards weight and actually recognizing and being aware of the messages that we're sending that are harmful for ourselves and harmful to others mm. and then being able to bring a more compassionate sort of stance towards weight and shape diversity exactly yeah yeah so we've got a bit of work to
0: do
1: <laughs> <laughs> we do
0: <laughs> but i'm sure i'm sure like we're going to get in there and keep on talking, keep raising these conversations and questions about like the limits of our models and the limits of our understanding. So mm. moving ahead, we're not just mirroring this diet culture,
1: myopic view of everything. Mm. I think that the main thing for people to kind of come back to is when we were talking about Neff earlier, one of her other sayings is when we're talking about the difference between self-esteem and self-compassion is self-esteem is what's good about me, whereas self-compassion is what is good for me. And so it's, I suppose, unfortunately people might still be getting lots of confusing and conflicting messages, but self-compassion is coming back to our own internal wisdom, knowing what we know is best for ourselves and then taking that action, even if it goes against what we're being told by other people. So it, it mm. might be weighing up this, okay, well, self-compassion, my understanding of self-compassion is being kind to myself, but there's a book out here, this is the self-compassionate diet, coming back to what's actually good for me, might be like, let's just put that book down, not read any further. <laughs> I mean, let's put on a crystal nest self-compassion yeah. meditation and yeah. try and soothe some of the distress that I'm feeling in response to reading this book. Beautiful.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's so embodied and it's so wise, like you said, because it's mainly about what do I need right now? What's good for me? How can I look after me? And Mm. noticing our distress and labeling it as distress Mm. rather than labeling it as failure, Mm. that judgment mind that so often happens.
1: Mm. And that wisdom is that you know what's best for you. Yeah. Yeah. People can't tell you what's best for you. Like you have that own wisdom. You just need to tune into that and to listen Mm. to that. Yeah. And you in your own
0: body, in your own life, are the one who can make those decisions. Mm. Yeah. So we're doing, you know, this self-compassion episode too in a a very tricky time of the year in diet culture. It's diet culture high season. We're coming, well, it's Mm. summer now. Christmas is coming. The food guilt is very, very loaded right Mm. now and then new year with all of the kind of new year new you bullshit and weight loss resolutions that are you know it's it's really turning up the volume and putting the pressure on people Mm. and self-compassion is a lovely 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 tool to Mm. use to protect you from the world going like hyper on this whole diet culture stuff Mm. so I wanted to get an idea from you what What do you, what are some self-compassion tips that you can say for people who are kind of struggling and getting all of these messages right now?
1: I love as like a quick, easy tool is Kristen Neff's self-compassion break. She breaks it down into three steps, which is first, the noticing. So I guess she has a sentence that this is a moment of suffering. But you, you it might just be like recognising, hey, this is really hard. Because yeah. I'm really struggling right now in diet season mm-hmm. to feel okay with myself so first and foremost is just allowing yourself to kind of drop in and recognize how it's making you feel and kind of validating it like yeah this is really tough like we don't need to like minimize it or anything like that just give ourselves the space to feel how Hard it is for us right now. Yeah, and then the second part is she talks about like this suffering is a part of life. So what she's getting at there is kind of normalizing it. And then I guess she adds in this common humanity, like that everybody suffers and struggles. So I suppose what could be nice there is trying to get a sense of not being alone in your suffering. So mm. you know this is really hard for me right now, and. I wonder if other people are also, also struggling with this pressure. Like everybody's got Christmas parties and formals and all of those sorts of things. And everybody's really exposed to this pressure to lose weight right now. What a really awful hard time that we're all going through together Mm -hmm. right now. This is tough for everybody and not minimizing your struggle, but also trying to not isolate yourself so that you're alone in your struggle. Mm. And then the third step is trying to bring some sort of kindness and compassion to your struggle. So she says, how can I be kind to myself right now, which I suppose is tapping into that inner wisdom in what do I need for myself right now? And it might be, I just need to kind of put down this magazine or I need to unfollow this person on social media. Or maybe I just need to do something nice for myself right now to remind myself that I don't need to jump on this diet bandwagon and I'm perfectly okay the way that I am right now. But just some sort of practice to soothe and comfort and love and nurture yourself and to show yourself that it's really hard and there's nothing wrong with you. You don't need to do anything to change yourself.
0: Oh, I love it. I love it. That's so nice. It's just a little three steps in noticing Responding with kindness and connecting with humanity.
1: Mm, yeah,
0: yeah, so needed at this time of year, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's a really tough time for so many people. I want to share with you something. <laughs> that, yeah. Uh, oh my god! This morning I saw on social media. Like honestly, I think at this time of year I need to get off it a bit more. But it was someone put up on Facebook. It it was wine, like diet wine. <laughs> What?
1: Which, oh.
0: Yeah, And I actually did the, because we were talking about self-compassion this morning, so I did that practice, like this is a moment oh. of pain.
1: Yeah,
0: yes. <laughs> because, so I actually did that. This is a moment of pain. Pain is a part of life and I'm yes. wishing myself peace because I was so horrified by someone doing that to whine, which, yes. as you know, I have a great deep love for. Yeah. <laughs>
1: God, the practice might have saved a few lives then by the sound. (laughs) Uh, you made me think of an experience when we were running the radiance group one of the sessions that we did around you know your tricky bodies and trying to understand that we're we're not designed to lose weight our bodies know what they're doing they're trying to keep us alive and to survive and as is the case for lots of people who first hear of this non-dieting health at every size paradigm there's a bit of, I guess, a pushback and yeah, you would have experienced it. Yeah, it's a bit of a horrified um, silence. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh no, it was a pretty vocal pushback. <laughs> and I remember at the end of the session, I'd be running with Kate, our dietitian, and I was like, oh no, like my that inner critic showed up for me. And I was like, ah. Oh. I stuffed it up and I didn't get the message across and how do I help them to really embrace this health at every size paradigm better and I need to oh. fix this and um, Kate sort of said to me oh and what would that compassionate self say right now oh, lovely. and I went to move into I can't even do compassion <laughs> but I was like no wait let's listen to this and I was like went through those three steps of this is really hard. Like, it's really important to me that I help people to accept themselves and to move away from diet culture. And it really, like, I'm really passionate about it. When I can't get the message across in a way that I feel like is powerful enough for people, that really upsets me. And also, I kind of can see that I wasn't the only one that was kind of upset and struggling in the room as well. There were other people yeah. that were trying to hear what I was saying, but also trying to hold on to something that was really important for them. And oh, that was a really difficult session for all of us. And I noticed very quickly, I went out of this like real threat, anger, frustration, state of being to this like calm, centered, rational way mm-hmm. of thinking. And then I was like actually, Kate, that's a really good idea. I think what we should do for the, the next session next week is let's start with doing a self compassionate break exercise all together and kind of sharing our experience of how hard last session was and using compassion to bring us all back together to develop an understanding of each other instead of our differing views on weight loss and dieting dividing us mm. so it was really really lovely but I guess it was, it was something that really stood out for me in that in just bringing some compassion to something that I was really struggling with it helped me slow everything down to get out of that emotional mm. state and to be able to like clearly think through and problem solve and we have like a killer follow-up session it was fantastic mm. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) awesome there's so many stories that that we could talk
0: about but Mm. it seems like a small thing but it's an enormous shift Mm. and and to just start by practicing with maybe that self-compassion break or like a real shortcut phrase to use is what would I say to my best friend yes if they were going through this Mm. because often that answer is completely different to what you're doing to yourself yeah absolutely that's a lovely way in too so thank you so much for a really interesting discussion on self-compassion and I am feeling a lot more oxytocin minded
1: <laughs> <laughs> I got the fiery lead Louise to sort of bring some compassion to yeah. itself <laughs> yeah you can see why I love it so much I kind of yes. need it <laughs> me, me too yes absolutely I think we all need it
0: yeah well it's a good point to end with right we really do need self-compassion we need we need a circuit breaker to the threat system that's constantly being fired up by diet culture Mm. and this is a lovely way out and a lovely a lovely way to be so thank you and thank you for all you do with like all the work you're doing in this area I'm sure we'll talk again soon
1: yes thank you thanks for having me
0: (laughs) bye-bye bye That was the wonderful Kira Buchanan and I chatting all things self-compassion. I hope you enjoyed it and I hope that you can take a lot from it in terms of using strategies and practical things to protect yourself in diet culture high season. Okay, so that's the show for another week and if you're loving listening to it as much as I'm loving bringing it to you, then please help us keep going by heading to iTunes and leaving a really positive rating and review for All Fired Up because the more of that happens, the more likely it is that we get up in the rankings and more and more people will see this podcast and listen to it, and the more this message of pushing back against diet culture will get out there. And wouldn't the world be a lovely place if that was happening? And don't forget to subscribe to All Fight Up as well so that you don't miss it when it pops out once a week. So if you're looking for a Christmas gift maybe for someone who needs a little bit of help in this area, why not head to untrapped.com.au and download our free ebook, which is called Everything You've Been Told About Weight Loss Is Bullshit. Now, I can bet you that not very many people will be getting this ebook for Christmas, but my God, I think it's a great gift. I might be a little bit biased because I did write it alongside the fearsome Fiona Willer, the dietitian who was talking to us with her research ninja skills in episode one. But look, this is a really good ebook, and I'm not just saying that to brag. It does go through all of the weight science stuff, right, and talks through what we've been told, you know, in popular media and everything that we're being told about dieting and weight loss and takes you through what the research is really showing. And it's a very different picture when we look underneath the hood a little bit and see what's really going on. And it really paints the picture of why focusing on weight loss is really not going to do anyone much good in the long term. And it talks about how not focusing on weight loss can ironically really help you look after yourself in a much better and much more sustainable way. So, look, it's a real gift of love. And I do recommend anyone to go to the website and to download that ebook because it was made so that lots of people can read it. Okay, so I'm really looking forward to the next show and so next week I'll be back with a big steaming pile of diet culture bullshit which I'm going to muck through and bring you a whole different perspective. So until next week, trust no one, think critically, push back against diet culture, untrap from the crap.